Well, good morning. Our vision here at Hope Chapel is to follow Jesus in his work of bringing spiritual, social, and cultural renewal in Greensboro and in the world. And in October of each year, the elders and staff, uh, we go away, and we went away this past October, to spend time evaluating how are we achieving our vision. And the goal of that is to look at the strengths and weaknesses and what we're doing, but then also to choose an emphasis for 2023 that would help us to achieve that vision. In 2022, our emphasis was growing in our intimacy with Christ. And then in 2023, as we evaluated where we were, we wanted to be a little more outward facing, and we decided to emphasize as a body cultivating shalom. Now, shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace and wholeness. It is the restoration of the world as it was meant to be before the fall. Jesus, he inaugurated shalom when he came, he lived, he died, and he was raised again. And then we read last week when he ascended, shalom continues. He's continuing to cultivate restoration and renewal. And then one day, at an undesignated time, Jesus will come back and he will consummate his kingdom. Now, during 2023... To help us bring about shalom as a church body, we're going to be walking through the book of Acts. We're also going to be providing several seminars uh, this winter and spring on the power of the word and God's design for humanity. And then we're this summer going to be inviting you to participate in these guilds, and the guilds will be based on occupations. And so if you're a stay-at-home mom, we'll have a guild for stay-at-home moms. If you're a lawyer, we'll have a guild for lawyers and the medical profession. And the, the goal of that is that together you can pray and help bring about shalom in your spheres of influence, where you work, where you live, and where you dwell. And then lastly, we're hoping to cultivate shalom and focusing more on the world. And so... Our hope is, God willing, this summer to send a team back to Costa Rica uh, that Michael will be leading. And so we're excited about that. And then next fall, we hope to deepen our partnerships uh, with our missionaries. So all of those things during 2023 will help us to cultivate shalom. Now, last week, we began our journey in Acts chapter 1, focusing on Christ's ascension. And we learn two truths from Acts chapter 1. First, Jesus is king and he is reigning. And then secondly, he's calling us to witness to his reign. Now this morning we're looking at Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the first act of King Jesus is to flood the steps of the upper room with the promised Holy Spirit creating a new temple and a new community. And those are the two things that I want us to focus on this morning, a new temple and a new community. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of coming together and worshiping. And Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you are here. 
And we recognize that evil would love to snatch this time of the preached word from each of our hearts and minds. And so we pray against evil. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take away distractions that we might have in our hearts and minds this morning. And Lord, that you would help us to engage your holy word and that you would illuminate it so that it might transform our hearts so that we, as your local church body, might be able to cultivate wholeness and peace in our lives in the lives of our neighbors in the city and in the world. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you, you can open your bulletins or you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And the first thing that I want us to focus on is that we are a new temple. Now in Genesis 1, it tells us that in the beginning God dwelt with man and he created a garden. And that garden was a temple. It was a tabernacle where God and man dwelt in peace. That garden was named Eden. And after the fall, sin entered into the world. And because God is holy and Adam and Eve had sinned, they could no longer be in the presence of God. And so God literally had to kick them out of the temple. He had to kick them out of the garden, and he actually placed cherubim at the gates of the garden so that they would not enter in. For if a sinful person came into the presence of a holy God, they would surely die. But God loved his children, and he longed to dwell with them. He wanted to restore them, and so he established covenants with Noah, with Abraham, and Moses. And God told Abraham that he was going to be a father of great nations, and that nation would be Israel. And God promised to bless Israel so that Israel would be a blessing to other nations. And then in Exodus 19, after rescuing Israel from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt, The Lord came down on Mount Sinai, and there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud and a very loud trumpet blast, so that the whole mountain was wrapped in smoke, like the smoke of kiln, and it trembled greatly. And while on the mountain, God talked with Moses. He tabernacled with Moses, and he gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and various other laws. Then in Exodus 25, 8 through 9, Moses writes that God instructed them, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So the Israelites, they did what God commanded, and they built a temporary dwelling. They built a a mobile tabernacle. And the tabernacle contained the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant contained the law. The, The cover of the Ark of the Covenant represented God's throne. 
And God would come and he would dwell in the tabernacle, the most holy place that symbolized his presence. And Aaron, the chief minister of the tabernacle, he wore a diadem with the engraving, holiness to the Lord. This this engraving served as a reminder to the people that though God dwelt among his people, the tabernacle was no ordinary facility. It was set apart. It is a place that Yahweh would dwell. Then after establishing a covenant with King David, God commanded David, he was like, okay, I don't want this temporary tabernacle anymore. I want you to build a temple in Jerusalem. And then Solomon, David's son, he completed it. In 2 Chronicles 7.1, when Solomon finished praying to consecrate the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Solomon's temple, it had a series of structures in it that where common Jews could come, they could bring uh, sin offerings. And then there was the Holy of Holies that only one priest could go in at a designated time. And they actually had to tie a rope to him because if he hadn't gone through all the sacrifices, he might die because he was in the presence of God and they wanted to be able to pull his dead body out. It was the Holy of Holies. And we read in Luke 2 that Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, they actually visited this temple. And then in Luke 2, 41 through 52, we read that Jesus, as a child, he broke away from his parents and he spent three days hanging out in the temple, listening to the priest. Jesus enjoyed being in his father's house and hearing the stories about his papa. Then Jesus, having died on the cross and served as our substitutionary atonement, the veil in the temple that separated God who was holy from man who was sinful, it was torn in two. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Jesus atoned for our sins. And therefore, when, Jesus, when God looks at us, we are seen as holy, as Christ is holy. We can enter the presence of God. And then as we read Acts chapter 2, after Christ's ascension, one of King Jesus' first acts was to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in his followers, to create a new temple. Look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost, which was a major Jewish festival, arrived, all 120 believers that Jesus had instructed in chapter 1 for them to go and wait, they were all together meeting in a place. And this tiny group, as they waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, And then suddenly, in verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And then verse 3 and 4, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. 
and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues in different languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, as you hear Luke writing about the Holy Spirit descending on Pentecost, you hear the language of fire and wind. Isn't that a familiar sound as I just walked through the temple? For whenever God came and dwelled in the temple, there was fire, there was wind. And what Luke is trying to tell us here is that King Jesus is establishing a new temple. Prior to this time, the temple was made from brick and mortar. But now, the followers of Christ will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You and I are the new temple. Jesus said he was the true temple because God dwelt in him. And now we are the temple because Christ dwells in us. Last week, we talked about Jesus passing into another dimension where he ascended through this portal to rule the upside down. And now the Holy Spirit is coming through that portal out of heaven, the higher dimension, to dwell with his followers. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 15 through 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. If you are a follower of Christ and you're here this morning, you are are the temple of God. You are a mobile temple. And so everywhere you go, God goes. Holiness moves throughout your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your schools, and the city and the world. Christ dwells in you and He dwells in me and we are united to Him. Heaven and earth meet in us as the Spirit of heaven dwells in those who believe. And I know we've heard this so many times that it almost becomes common, but this is extraordinary. This is great news that God dwells in His people. The garden is being restored. There's no longer a cherubim guarding it because of Jesus' death and resurrection and His ascension, we are the temple of God. So what what are implications for us? There's many, and I just want to mention three. And the first is, because we're the temple of God, the power of God dwells in us. Do you ever feel like stuck and paralyzed by your own sin your own weakness, unable to break terrible habits. God's got huge plans for you. None more than you can ever imagine. We want to be better humans, and God intends to make us new humans. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in him, he is a new creation. And the power of the Holy Spirit dwells in those who profess 
faith in him. And what does that mean? That means that the dominion of sin has been broken. That means when we feel stuck, when we feel paralyzed, that we have the Spirit's power in us to help break the chains of sin, the patterns of addiction, our struggles to love our spouse, our struggles with our kids. Kids, that means you can be different in your relationships with your parents and actually obey them when they ask you to do something. I was having lunch with a friend on Friday, and he was sharing his struggles and this particular struggle that he's had for a long time. And I looked at him and I said, you have the power of the Spirit dwelling in you. You are a new temple. And that power can break the stronghold of sin. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he says, I don't believe it. And I said to him, you don't have to believe it. Because it's true. And whether you believe it or not, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he can set you free. C.S. Lewis wrote, God became man not to produce better of the old kind, but to make a new kind. Not like teaching a horse to jump higher, but turning a horse into a winged creature. One implication of us being the new temple is that we have the power of God dwelling in us. And we can use that power for good and for God to break the strongholds in our own lives. The second implication is that we have the ability to know the Father. The Holy Spirit illuminates the Word so that we might know God and align our lives with His kingship. And because we have the Holy Spirit in us, when the Word is preached, we can understand it. He's talking to us right now. He's talking to you in your head right now if you're listening to Him. And He is teaching you and revealing truth about Himself. And I know this to be true because for 16 years of my life, I wasn't a believer. I didn't follow Christ. And I can remember going to church and hearing the sermon and being bored. And I always blamed it on the preacher. But the reality was it had nothing to do with the preacher. I didn't have the Spirit in me. And then I remember Sarah reading Scripture verses to me, and it just seemed like a foreign language. I remember going to Young Life and hearing Steve Kimmel preach through the Gospel and read God's Word. And again, it just kind of bounced off of me. But then one day... I professed faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit came in me. I was a new temple. And I tell you, it was like the scales were taken off my eyes. And for the first time, everything made sense. This ancient document became a living document. And I began to know and, and understand my Heavenly Father. To understand that, that Easter wasn't just about the Easter bunny. The Easter literally was about a risen Lord. One of the implications that you are a new temple is that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And because you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the ability to know the Father. You also have the power of God who dwells in you. And then thirdly, 
And lastly, because you are a new temple, you can fellowship with the Father. The veil that existed in the temple has been torn because of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice. And now we don't have to to kill sheep in, in order to worship Him. We can actually dwell in His presence. And He's with you. You don't even literally have to come to this structure even though God wants you to come to the structure and to worship. But wherever you go, Christ is with you. And wherever He is, He dwells in you. And you can fellowship with Him. And again, we hear that and we think, okay, no big deal. It was a huge deal. Can you put yourself in a Jew's place? Can you put yourself in Matthew's place? Can you put yourself in Paul's place? For so long, they thought that God was separate. There was no way you could enter his presence. And then Jesus comes, God incarnate. Jesus dies. He's raised from the dead. The veil is torn. And now you can actually fellowship with God and not die. It's amazing. And that's what Luke is saying in Acts 2. That's what the first act of King Jesus was, was to send the Spirit to create a new temple, a temple of power to break the bonds of sin, a temple where we can fellowship with Him, and a temple where we can know the Father. And so the first thing we see in Acts 2 is that you and I are new temples. The second thing we see is that King Jesus is creating a new community. We in the evangelical community, we rightly emphasize our personal relationship with Christ. We are the new temple. We're united to Him. But as we look at Acts 2 this morning, we also see that King Jesus, He's creating a new community. Uniting what was once scattered at the Tower of Babel. Luke tells us in chapter 2, verse 1, that the Jews, they were celebrating the festival of Pentecost. And then in verse 5, we see, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They had come for Pentecost. There were literally over 150,000 pilgrims gathered together in Jerusalem, a city of 30,000. So the 150,000 Jews came from different cities, Alexandria, Antioch, Rome, each with their own culture. Theocracies, democracies, oligarchies, they each spoke different language, Egyptian, Parthian, and Libyan. And all gathering together in Jerusalem, as you might imagine, they struggled to communicate with one another. But Luke tells us when the Spirit filled the 120 that were gathered in the upper room, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So when the throngs of Jews, they heard this loud rushing wind and they came running to find out what had happened. And when they arrived, Luke says in verses 6 through 10, They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak 
in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the party of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Peter, James, Thomas, Mary, Galileans were all speaking in all these different languages, telling about God. And in verses 11 and 12, it says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed. In Acts chapter 2, King Jesus reverses Babel. The scattered are now unified. King Jesus, he's forming a new community of followers from every tribe and every nation. The old politics of Babel, where man sought to make a name for himself, is being reversed. Now, God's name was being proclaimed. God's new community, the church, makes a name for Christ. I know we've all heard the adage that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. But the truth is, the church has always been the most culturally diverse institution on earth. 13% Asian, 20% African, 24% European, 12% North American, and 25% Latino. She is diverse because she exalts a king who declares that there's no Jew, Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. We are a new community with one spirit, one heavenly father, and one king. And this new community that King Jesus is creating, he gives new status to its members. Well, good morning. 18. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Prior to Pentecost, it was customary that women couldn't learn under a rabbi. They, They could only enter certain parts of the temple. But King Jesus declares no more. I'm creating a new community, a new order where women are filled with the Spirit and they're given just as much spiritual insight as men. Young people who were marginalized in the ancient Near East, Jesus is saying, not true in my community. In my community, they're not commodities to be used. They too will be filled with the Spirit. Even slaves will be filled with the Spirit, and they too will have just as much spiritual insight as their owners. 
Imagine a new community in which the least of these shall become the greatest. Those who once scrubbed your floors are now your elders. King Jesus' politics were were not Republicans nor Democrats. King Jesus' politics was a new and a different way. For he was forming a new community that sought to give dignity to all, equal status to all, to reconcile sinners and saints, and to unify people from different races, ethnicities, and socioeconomic backgrounds. And this new community, it never sought to overthrow Rome. In fact, as we read through Acts, the followers of Christ, they never, ever disobeyed Rome. There was no such thing as a Christian nationalist. King Jesus' followers, they lived a new way where they gave power away. And as a result, whenever the powers of Rome then and the powers of our Western world now come in contact with the new community of God, they are shaken to their bones. Verse 20, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. These are political symbols that Luke uses. And Jesus, he's terrifying to anyone who dominates and claims supremacy. Be that the Sanhedrin, Herod, the high priest, Festus, Felix, Democrats, Republicans, socialists, communists. Jesus offers a new way, a different way. And he's calling us to be a part of that community. He's creating a community with the help of the Spirit's rushing wind. And he's taking a spark. And that spark is catching fire. And it's a consuming fire that will literally, as we'll read through Acts, will literally turn the world upside down. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a member of this new community. Your gifts your talents, your personality, your time. They're wanted and they're needed. There was an urgency 2,000 years ago to go out as a new community, to spread the good news, to tell the world that Jesus is king and to call them to live under that kingship. That urgency exists today. There's no sidelines when it comes to participating in God's kingdom. There's no stands for us to sit in. We're all called to be on the field. Every one of you is needed. You are the new temple. And as you and I come together, we form the new community. And as we live as a new community, we will See God cultivate shalom, wholeness, and peace and restore Greensboro to the way it was meant to be. And so the question for you this morning and for me is will you join with him? Will you join in this new way, this new community? It's not an easy ask. 
Because the way of this new community ultimately is a way of suffering and a way of death. It is costly. It will cost you everything. But he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So will you join with him? And that might mean sacrificing things. That might be sacrificing money. That might be sacrificing time. That might be sacrificing your nuclear family time because now you're a part of a broader family. That might be giving up and using your gifts and your talents. That might be you speaking up at work. That might be you as a student speaking up in your classroom. And it certainly will be all of us choosing to love one another in the midst of our differences because the many have now become one. How will the world know him? By the shockingly and beautifully new and different third upside-down way. By our small local expression of the universal church, God will see him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, he destroyed the temple. And then three days later, he resurrected it. And after he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in his followers. You and I were mobile temples where the Holy One dwells. You're a garden. You're a little piece of the Garden of Eden. And everywhere you go, you can either choose to plant seeds that will grow so that his kingdom might grow, or you can choose to deny him. And we as a church, we are the spark that I hope and pray in 2023 catches fire. I hope and pray in October of 2023 when the elders and staff gather again and we look back that we celebrate all the wonderful things that we have done as a community to cultivate wholeness and peace and to restore things in Greensboro and the world to the way they were meant to be. Shalom will come. Wholeness and peace. And we get to join in Christ's work of bringing spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to our city and to our world. Amen and amen.